It's good to be with you here tonight. We'll see how we go with the uh, headset. It was playing up last week. It was making a lot of buzzing noises, so I had to take it off in the middle of a message. It wasn't too great, but if it happens this week, then we've got a mic here. We know that one works. Yeah, just a note um, before we start on the baptism. Baptism will be on Easter Sunday here at 9.30 in the morning. Um, it's a great day to get baptized on Easter Sunday, just to let you know the logistics of it, because we'll be celebrating Jesus' resurrection from the dead on Easter Sunday. And baptism, of course, is the symbol that we are united with Christ in his death and then brought into new life with him when we come back up out of the baptismal waters. But we need about two weeks to fill the tank here with freezing cold water. So um, you've got to let me know by tonight. No, it's not that cold. It's not that cold. It's pretty cold. Um, but you've got to let me know by tonight if you're interested in baptism so that we can um, speak to you uh, about baptism in the next week. Excellent. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. It's great to be back here at Church at Five. Um, I haven't been here for a while, um, but I've, you've started a new series, and this series is called um, Judges, Heroes and Villains, and we're up to uh, Samson this evening, the sec- second part in a three-part series. And so we'll try not to give away the end of the story tonight. We'll leave something left for Brandon next week to, uh, to ponder over. Um, but as I was thinking about um, epic stories, and, and uh, the, the book of Judges really is a, a collection of epic stories in one sense, even though they're from a different culture, far away from us in time and in, uh, in, co- in place, they are still recognizable to us as epic stories, and perhaps no, no story more so than Samson, which is really a story that does fit the bill of being a superhero story, Samson with his superhero powers. But I was thinking of another epic story. I was thinking of The Hobbit, and uh, hopefully, well, The Hobbit, he's not such a superhero, right, is he? Bilbo. Um, hopefully most of you have read The Hobbit, but if you haven't, you maybe you've seen the film, and I was thinking of the, the scene in The Hobbit where Bilbo is down uh, underneath the Misty Mountains and he runs into Gollum, and there's this scene where they exchange riddles and Bilbo's trying to save his life. If he can get the riddles right, then Gollum ostensibly will let him go. And it's interesting because riddles also play a key role in Samson's story. And I want to start tonight with a riddle that I'm just going to read to you uh, from a previous chapter uh, as we get started. You see, Samson gave a, a, a riddle at his first wedding, at his first wedding, and he said this, and the, the, uh, the, the guests of the wedding had to guess what he was referring to. And if you've read The Hobbit, probably you've got a good start then on riddles, and uh, you, you'll be able to discount. It's not time, it's not fish, it's not an egg. Let's see what it is. Out of the eater, something to eat, Samson says. Out of the strong, something sweet. That's the riddle he gives his wedding guests, and they are told that if they can get it within seven days by the end of the festival... Uh, then he will sponsor a new set of clothing uh, for each one of them. And there's 30 of them, so 30 sets of clothing. But if they, ga- if they can't get it, then they'll have to give him 30 new sets of clothes. So that was obviously the way they had wish lists working back then for weddings, just connected to a riddle there. But what the answer turns out to be, which is revealed seven days later... It's given by the men of the town where they celebrate the wedding and they say this to Samson. They say, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And that's very interesting that they say this because the the riddle, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you'll know that what Samson was thinking of was in fact honey and a lion because he had killed a lion and later he'd gone back to the carcass and found fresh honey in the carcass and eaten it. 
It's a superhero story. That's what happened. So the answer to the riddle is, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And the, the ironic thing about tonight's uh, passage, Samson and Delilah, is that we'll see how this, the, the answer that these wedding guests give to Samson, to this w- riddle from his wedding, plays out in Samson's own life. Because it's Samson's weakness, you could say, in a, in a negative sense, or love for women, in a positive sense, which turns out for Samson to be sweeter than honey, but also stronger than a lion. So we're going to look at this episode in Samson's life, towards the end of his life, and then I want to, at the end, draw out two implications for us. And we'll be looking at what it means for us as Christians, all having been, if we're, if we're Christians, if we belong to Christ, if we've been through those baptismal waters, united with Christ in his death and resurrection, then we all have a calling on our life. We're all set apart for the Lord. Two things that also characterized Samson as one who had given a Nazarite vow, had been dedicated to the Lord. He had a particular calling on his life, and he'd been set apart for the Lord for this calling. So in that sense, if we're Christians and we're in Christ, then um, even though there's many of us and only one Samson, we have that with him in common, that we have this calling on our lives. We want to think about what it means to have this calling and how we should, um, how we should live with this calling. But as we read through the story, I want you to think about what kind of guy, as in maybe not guy, what kind of man, what kind of person, what kind of human being Samson really is because that's key to helping us understand how um, we are to live our calling, how we're to think about what it means for us to be set apart for the Lord. But just to set the stage, because I mean, I've listened to a couple of Brandon's messages, Um, he's kind of tried to play on this. We've got this great comic poster for the series downstairs, which you hopefully would have seen as you came in, just three guys kind of going berserk and running towards you on the poster. And heroes and villains, it's kind of had a comic, um, comic book theme, uh, an epic movie kind of theme. So let me just set the scene um, for this episode in, uh, in Samson's life. So we're kind of at the... Uh, I need to maybe develop my scene-setting skills, but we're, we're kind of 1100 BC, 1,100 years before um, the birth of Christ. And if you can imagine the scene, I can imagine a guy standing alone on a hilltop in the Judean hill country, in the hill country of Ephraim, just north of the Judean hill, hill country, and he's looking out west to the sea, and it's dark, and he can see on the horizon the lights, the fires on ships coming. At first he only sees one ship, maybe, two ships, three ships, but it soon becomes apparent there are lots of ships, and they're coming closer and closer to the shoreline. And he knows that communication's been down with a lot of the other city-states and the, a lot of countries uh, in the region, and there's been talk of this, this unknown enemy coming who seemed to conquer everybody, where everything, every, everyone is vanquished and everything is destroyed. Now these people land and begin to conquer this, this country, to conquer Israel, to conquer the Holy Land, the Holy Land of Canaan. This is what happened around in the period 1200 through 1100 BC, when suddenly new people from the west, these weren't people who lived in the country with Israel since Israel had been in the land after they took over the country under Joshua. These were new people, people who came by sea, people who threatened everyone they ran into and caused massive destruction around the world at the time. It was a great time of upheaval. 
And then Israel was faced as they looked down from their fortified hilltops down into the plain by the Mediterranean with this enemy. And as we learn from the book of Judges, this was an enemy that Israel in and of themselves were unable to defeat. They basically had to say, whatever you guys want, however you guys want to run this country, well, that's what it's going to be. And they had to wait for God's deliverance. And God's deliverance was supposed to begin with a guy called Samson. So that's the scene, Israel up against strong enemies, enemies who they cannot defeat by themselves, and their, their hope, the hero who's been sent to play the, the part of the main protagonist in this, um, in, this, um, in this iteration of the genre, is Samson. So let's read through the first couple of verses now of Judges chapter 16. We're just going to read the first um, four verses, sorry, first three verses of Judges chapter 16. We read there, One day Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, At dawn we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and he tore them loose, bar and all. And he lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. So we see here that Samson begins to, if you've been following the story, Samson is moving south. He started off in the north of the Philistine area. They'd kind of, they'd, they'd managed to get a beachhead here in Canaan. They'd conquered the, the coastal strip. They had five major cities that they ruled over, and that was kind of their heart. And even though it was only a small area, they were pretty much unassailable there. And the southernmost city, the place furthest from Israel, the furthest from the heartland of God's people, was Gaza. So Samson had... Um, had gone down the list of the cities. Um, some of them are still there today, in fact. Ashkelon, Ashdod, and Gaza. You'll still find them on our modern maps for all Philistine cities uh, at this time. So Samson now turns up in this, um, this southernmost city. And it's very interesting what these few verses tell us. I, I used this illustration just the other day, but it really fits here as well. These, these little verses are like the... Um, I like the warm-up band before a concert. You see, you're waiting for the main act, the main band that you've paid your tickets, that you paid the money for the tickets for, and then looking over there. And then um, before the main band comes on, you usually get a warm-up band to get people in the mood, to, to get people a taste of what they've they've come to see later in the evening. And this this little incident here is a taste of what is to come in in the longer section about Samson's life when we come to talk about Samson. And Delilah, but just just note with me here that Samson, we've, we've if you if you've missed that part of the message, you can listen to last week's message where Brandon talks about what it meant for Samson to be set up set apart for the Lord, to have a divine calling on his life, and yet in this um, in this little episode here, there's no mention of God, no mention of God in the life of a man who was set apart for God with a calling directly from God. That's interesting. And we see here, in the past, where Samson has done um, feats of strength or of great bravery, it's been said about him that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him to enable him to do that. Yet here, 
we're asked to believe that just that, well, we're not told anything about that. It's simply um, stated to us that during the middle of the night, Samson got up from spending the night with a prostitute, not usually what people who were taking Nazarite vows were doing, but he got up in the middle of the night, grabbed the city gate together with the two posts, tore them loose and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. That's a good 80, 90, 100 kilometers even, long way to carry a gate, long way to carry a gate. But what's, what this text is showing us is that instead of, and, and as we'll see, Samson doesn't head back towards Israel, his own people, to serve God uh, amongst his own people, to gather his, his people to him in order to fulfill God's calling on his life. He immediately turns back to another area of the Philistine territory in the valley of Sorek, which is in the next verse, in verse 4, which we'll read uh, in a moment. So we see that Samson is drawn, it seems, to the Philistines, to the enemies of God's people. He has no problem hanging out with the enemies of God's people, the people he's been commanded by God to begin to free his own people from their oppression. But he's not, he's not, uh, not concerned with that too much. He's happy to hang out with them. And Gaza is as far from home, as I mentioned before, as possible. But this act, now that Samson's reached the, the end of the Philistine territories from north to south, he's reached Gaza, after Gaza is the desert on the way to Egypt, that means him now, he's a target for all the Philistines. Before, he just annoyed a lot of people at his wedding um, when he killed a bunch of guys and set a bunch of fields on fire. Now, all of the Philistines are after him. And all of their leaders, we'll see in a moment, come together. They want a solution to the Samson uh, problem. But it's, um, it's, it's interesting again here to, to see that Samson has the strength. Sorry. Just try not to move. Samson has the strength to carry these iron gates many, many kilometers. But he has no ability, it would seem, or no strength at withstanding the wiles of Delilah. So let's read um, the second episode in this part of Samson's life. From verse 4 in Judges 16. There we read, Sometime later Samson fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. This is the beginning of Samson's downfall. I'll swap it out. This is the beginning of um, Samson's downfall as he meets this, this woman called Delilah, which is possibly... Um, Possibly a play on the words of the night. Lila, of course, is the, the word for night. But we don't know exactly. It could be a Philistine word that we don't fully uh, understand um, what it means. But the, the interesting thing about this is, is that um, as Delilah begins, she's going to want to seek the truth. She asks the question here, tell me the secret of your great strength. As she finds out the truth, it's going to be ironic in that moment, Samson himself will lose the truth. And Samson demonstrates himself in this next section to be a fool. And that's a very important reminder for us. Even though he's chosen of God, even though he has this special calling on his life, he demonstrates through the way he behaves that he's a fool. And he really is 
an idiot. I mean, we're going to see that. It's just so obvious. The guy's like, what, what are you thinking? He's a complete fool. We see also that he cannot learn from past mistakes. He doesn't get any wisdom from what's happened in his life before. We've got that little episode of what happened in Gaza, in our minds. Samson knows when he went to Gaza to go into the prostitute, all of the Gazans surrounded the place in order to kill him. And yet he knows he's with a woman who belongs to the same people as that other woman in Gaza. There's all those guys who are trying to kill him. And he doesn't learn from his past mistakes. He's blinded here by his own self-centeredness and by the, the beauty, the, the wiles of Delilah. And I think of other examples from history. Um, this, is not a, this is not a rare story. You'll see um, stories like this, tragedies like this, um, have produced some of the great art and literature in history. Because they're stories to some degree with which we can all identify with. And it's interesting, as I was looking over this text, and I was, Brandon had given me this text, and I was thinking, what am I going to say here? That's kind of the, this is kind of the story when you hear it, when, you think you just, when, you've, when you, you've heard the story of Samson Delilah, Delilah. And I kind of think, I just want to shake my head and say, hmm. That's the way things go. That's the way things are. What can I learn from that story? But if we do uh, look a little, a little more closely, then I think we can take away some important implications uh, for our lives. It's interesting here, Delilah is the first woman who's named in the story of Samson. His mother is not named. His previous wife from Timna, that was last week, also not named, nor is the prostitute named in Gaza, but Delilah uh, is named. We see also here in these very first verses that everything about Samson's life is, some, is, is extreme. His strength is extreme. What he does is extreme with a donkey jawbone killing thousands of guys. And here, the, the Philistine rulers, as I said before, there were five cities in the Philistine kingdom or in the Philistine state. So if their rulers came here to Delilah and they each offered her uh, 1,100 shekels of silver, that's 5,500 shekels of silver. That's just an insane amount of money. Abraham to pay for his family estate where he was going to bury his wife and later be buried himself, he, he only paid 400 shekels. Yet the Philistine rulers here are offering Delilah 5,500 shekels. Later on in the Bible, you remember that in order to avert the plague that had come on Israel, David wanted to buy the threshing floor of Araunah on the Temple Mount. And he only paid 50 shekels for that. Yet here, these rulers are offering Delilah 5,500 shekels. So let's see how the story uh, progresses. We know that Samson likes riddles. They've been a part of his life up to now. He likes tr playing tricks on people. Uh, but it seems here that he's, that he's caught, that he's given a taste of his own medicine. Let's read from verse 7. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me up with seven fresh thongs that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. And the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh thongs that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the thongs as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. This is interesting as well from the point of view of what, um, what Samson tells Delilah. 
Her question is, how can we... I mean, it's, a, it's a kind of a strange question to be asked anyway. You, you begin to think, what kind of man is this? When he's asked this question, that he's willing to give this... Or that he doesn't begin to suspect Delilah, that she may not be the loving partner that he believes her to be. But perhaps he's so um, convinced of his own strength, of his own um, invincibility, that at this time he thinks it'd be fun to play along. And he begins playing with fire. But we see where his heart is, because what he says to Delilah is that if you take these these uh, thongs, these are strips of flesh from a dead animal corpse, um, corpse that Samson mentions here. And as a Nazarite, as someone... Uh, um, dedicated to the Lord, he was unable to have any contact with the dead, with dead corpses of any kind, animal or human. So it just shows you the way he's thinking about his calling and the way he's thinking about the divine calling on his life or being set apart for the Lord that he thinks, even as a joke perhaps, and maybe Delilah thought that it was a joke as well, and she still tried it out, that he thought that this would be something that he could say as one dedicated to the Lord. So that's the first attempt, the first test. And then we continue in verse 10. Then Delilah said to Samson, you have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. It's interesting what Delilah says here. Delilah says, you've made a fool of me, Samson, because those guys I got in here to kill you, they weren't able to kill you. You, you, you beat them up. And yet Samson, for some reason, he's still willing to play along with his game. This is why I say the guy, he, what he was... A fool. He was not able to learn from past experience. So Samson said in verse 11, If anyone ties me securely with new ropes that had never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then, with men, with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. This is the second test. And again, we wonder why Samson uh, can't learn from this experience. That's the second time he's woken up in the middle of the night being, having been tied down by his wife to have armed men trying to kill him in the room. But he's still into this relationship. We continue in verse 13 with a third test. Delilah then said to Samson, Until now you have been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, If you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric and tightened it with the pin. Again she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and he pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. We struggle to, to conceive of how this happened. Did Samson lie down next to the loom so that his hair would be, kind of be near it so that Delilah could try this one out while he was asleep? And now the final um, fateful fourth test. It's introduced by other words here. Note how Delilah speaks here in verse 15. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. And with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I've been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. 
When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, Come back once more, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. And having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair, and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. Then she, then she called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding in the prison. See, Samson plays with fire here, and in the end, it comes back and burns him. He's foolish here as one called of God. And we want to be thinking about what kind of guy, that's what I ask you to be thinking about as we go through this, this text, what kind of man, what kind of person, what kind of human being um, Samson is. He foolishly shows this pagan woman, someone not from his country, who doesn't believe in his God, so he's not part of his people. He foolishly shows her the, 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 the inmost truth of who he is that he's dedicated to the Lord, that he has a, a calling from God. I'm thinking, what must have Delilah thought about God at that point when Samson revealed all to her? And she's thinking, okay, so hmm, you go down to visit prostitutes in Gaza as a man of God? You see, the, the way I, I, I look at this text is it's not so much that Samson is willfully violating the vow that he's taken of being dedicated to the Lord, being set apart for the Lord. He's not going out of his way, knowing what he's vowed, knowing what he's promised, knowing his dedication, and doing everything he can to break it. Rather, it seems to me, he just doesn't take it seriously at all. He's willing to give a, it could, it could, even, it could be interpreted that way, as I said, a joke answer. When Delilah first asked him, how can I tie you up? How can I subdue you? He says, take these, these tendons, these thongs from, the, from the, a dead corpse of an animal to tie, to tie me. He just doesn't take his vow. He doesn't take his calling seriously. And that's a question here that I want to ask myself and ask all of us here. How many of us are like that? That we'd simply, it's not a case that we're going out of our way to go against what God wants for our lives, how God wants us to live our lives. But maybe it's simply a case if we just don't take it seriously. He sees that God or the things of God, being a Nazarite, being belonging to God, being promised to God is just something for him anyway, as Samson with his superhuman strength, it's something to be, it's almost like a toy to be played with, not a calling to be faithful to and to fulfill. And we see here, as with all of the other tragedies, the damage is already done before the Philistine leaders arrive with the silver clanging in their pockets. The damage has already been done, in this case by Samson himself, as he gives in, as he reveals himself, unfortunately, for the fool that he is. Delilah recognizes this time that he's speaking the truth. She doesn't wait until he's fallen asleep and then get the scissors out and say, I wonder if it'll work this time. She's so sure that she's got through to him that she calls the leaders, come, I know, I know the truth. I know how to subdue Samson. 
And there's such a tragic end to the story here, or at least end to our part of the story here, where it says here in verse 19 at the end, as, she, as the man she called to cut, to shave off his hair comes, it says here, his strength left him. His strength left him. I'm going to see the, in, in the next verse just how tragic it gets because even after this has happened, Samson, does Samson really think that if he's lost his hair, he'll still be able to, as it says here in verse 21, he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll get up or I'll go out just as before and shake myself free. A tragic thing from a man who has not taken his calling, the divine calling on his life, seriously. And this horrible truth, one of the most, the worst things that could happen to anybody is given to us in verse 20, the second part. He did not know that the Lord had left him. The man called from birth, set aside from birth to be dedicated to the Lord, did not know that the Lord had left him. This is pathetic. This, this statement by Samson, I'll just get up and do what I've done before. In one sense, we could say that's just a, that's the story of Samson's life. That's the story of his life. That's what, he, that's what he's done his whole life. He's always done whatever he pleased. He always got up the next day and did as he'd done before. No one had ever told him what he had to do or no one had ever told him what he couldn't do until now. And overnight, Samson's life, re- realize this, overnight, Samson's life is transformed. He was a man who, who was um, almost completely guided by sight, by his eyes. Whatever he set his sights upon, and often those were women in Philistine, in the Philistine territories, that's what he lusted after, what he wanted. And yet now he's blind and he can't see. From being strong so that no one could bind him, no one could hold him back. He wasn't he was the freest in that sense in Israel. He's now become nothing more than a common slave in bondage. His divine calling is over. And he's now a slave in um, prison. Before we go on to the, the implications, I just want to read verse 22 to make you want to come back next week for Brandon's message. Yeah, This is a brilliant, this is a brilliant line. This, is, this, this line here, this is worthy of Nobel Prize literature. Verse 22, Judges 16, verse 22. Well, let's just read verse 21 again. Then the Philistines seized Samson, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. So little said, and yet so much said. All is not lost, or is it? We'll see next week. It's simple but brilliant, this line, that hope is not dead. God is not thwarted despite Samson's foolishness. And hope is not lost even in the darkest pit of despair. So that's the the Samson and Delilah story. Let me just um, pull out two practical implications for us today that I was thinking about as I went over the text. I asked you the question before we looked at this story, and the story is in, in many ways it is a tragic story which is why it has been so often represented in art and in literature, and why the theme of this story is known to us from many other pieces of literature through the ages from many different cultures. 
But I ask you to think about what kind of person, what kind of man Samson is. Because the this begegnung, um, what is it? Running out of English. This encounter with Delilah. It is an encounter that, that is, is filled with significance in itself, but it's also characteristic of Samson's life. It's characteristic of Samson's life. This is, as I just said, m- mentioned moments before, this is how Samson has been living his whole life. Whatever he set his eyes upon, that is what he got. And often that was women. So the two applications here, or the two, the two, sorry, the two implications here is that we see in this story of Samson, indeed we see it um, in much of the book of Judges. Remember, the book of Judges happens under the heading, at this time there was no king in Israel and every man did what was right in his own eyes. At this time there was no king in Israel and every man did what was right in his own eyes. So that's the, that's the context for what happened here. We know about the historical context, the coming of the Philistines to the coastlands, their, their conquering of that land. But we see in the story of Samson, we see, we see um, that um, a kind of chauvinistic patriarchy is exposed in this time amongst God's people. We see here, and this is embodied by Samson, we see here men using women for their own self-interest, without respect to the well-being or to um, to the well-being of those women, without respect to love. That's a, that's a very important thing that we need to draw uh, from this this account, because it's going to affect how we behave today. There's a Polish um, theologian called Carol Wodge Tyler. Many of you will have heard of him. He says that friendship including friendship between the sexes, consists in a full commitment of the will to another person with a view to that person's good. With a view to that person's good. Friendship consists in a full commitment of the will to another person with a view to that person's good. So I have to be fully committed here in my will yeah, to another person and, and the way I'm committing to them is that, I'm, is that I'm, I'm acting, I'm thinking, I'm relating to them with a view to their good. Can we honestly, can we, can, we, can we see that at all in Samson or in the way he treats people, men or women, but certainly women, uh, in the story? And he continues, as Carol Watchtower continues, he says, love between men and women cannot be built without sacrifices and self-denial. Love between men and women cannot be built without sacrifices and self, self-denial. Again, I'd ask you, can we see evidence of that kind of sacrifice and self-denial in Samson's life, whether it's in this story of Delilah or whether it's in his other escapades that he got up to in the previous chapters? And no doubt many, there's only a few given to us, there were many more. I would say, no, no, we can't. Samson shows us instead, he shows us the other side of the coin, that if men, if men, um, men often see women merely as sex objects, certainly not as persons in which, with which to engage in friendship and love, but rather persons to be controlled and used and exploited. 
So Samson, I think, reveals himself to be a very unpleasant kind of character. He's completely self-centered. As you see, all through these stories, he only operates in his own interest. And here's, here's something I want you to, to, to see, that he doesn't care about God's agenda. That comes through in all of the Samson narrative, particularly, uh, I find, in this one, in the way he's behaving when he's the judge of Israel, he's the, the leader, the appointed leader, in order to apply God's law and God's will to their lives. He's, in addition to the judge, he's been set apart, as I've mentioned so many times tonight, for the Lord, dedicated to the Lord. He has a divine calling on his life, and yet there is no mention, no mention in Samson's life of God's agenda, of God's will, of God's purpose. And in fact, everything we see shows him, as I said earlier, not necessarily deliberately going against God's law, as we see in other parts of the Old Testament, but he just seems not to care, not to care. He has no concern for God's agenda. He has no concern for his parents, and he certainly has no concerns about true concerns about those women he loves. He only seeks his own gratification in those relationships. And this is not, it need be said, not how God intended male-female relationships to function. So we don't want to take Samson here as a role model. We're not going to have the Samson course here, the premarital course here called Samson. That's not how it's going to run. This is not how God intended male-female relationships to work. We're going to um, get a bit more into the, into the picture that Samson points us towards next week. But when we look to Jesus, we see that what should characterize us as Christians, those who have a calling from God, who are set apart for him by being baptized into the death of Christ and raised with Christ to new life, is that we live servant relationships, where what what Tyler says is really how we live, that we make a full commitment of our will and our mind to the good of another person. He says at another place that the human being is something to which the only uh, reasonable response ultimately is love. That has to be the way we approach uh, each other. And we see in the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ embodies servant relationships and servant leadership for us in a perfect way to give us a perfect model for how we want to live our relationships. But let me just stress as I close this point, biblical, or the, the, the rest of the scriptures, as I say, you should, this is important, and maybe, you haven't, maybe you're not a Christian here this evening, or you haven't been a Christian for very long, or maybe you know very little about the Old Testament, um, which is something I run into all the time, um, certainly on, on media, online, there are so many people who seem to know so little about the Old Testament, that just because something is described in the Bible, just because we're given this story in Judges of Samson and how he behaves, that's not, that doesn't mean that that's how we should behave or that's an example for us to follow or that's how God wants us to behave. Many times in the Bible, both in Old and New Testaments, behavior is described to us as it happened. As it happened. Stories are given to us in all their gore, sometimes in all their horror, in all their tragedy. But that's not to say that God wants us to do that, live like that, be like that. Rather, we're to have the law of God in our hearts to help us interpret how God sees these, sees these things that are written down for us. They're written down for us as examples, Paul says. 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But for some of us, for some of those things, they're examples for us to learn from and to copy. And for many things, they're examples not to copy, not to do that, to be warned about. So we can say that the Bible in total calls for men, unlike Samson, to show the highest respect for women, to recognize that they're created in the image of God and that they're endowed with equal glory and dignity before God. We want to be thinking about how we can apply that um, in our lives today. And I just, I suppose I should mention that um, we might not be the kind of people who think I'm going to go down and visit a prostitute and then on the way home I'm going to check in with another, another girl. But we have to be careful that we don't seek to rationalize and justify things in our relationships with, um, especially as men, with women, those of the other sex, where we, um, in fact, are not fully committed to them with our will to their good, that is, that we're not thinking of them in order to love them, but we have actually slipped over and we are really thinking of them as ways for us to be gratified or to, um, yeah, to, to, to pursue our own, our own gratification. Unfortunately, that's all around us today as well. But let me leave you with this second application from Samson's life. And again, it's a negative application. It's what Samson didn't do. It's what Samson didn't do. And, and the, the, the warning for us, I suppose, is to see what happened to Samson. What happened to Samson when he didn't do this? We should realize that those who are called to divine service, what does that mean? Those who are called to serve God must focus on the divine agenda. That is to say, they must focus on God's plan, God's revelation. In my view, Samson failed to do this. He didn't focus on God or what God wanted, and so he wasted his life and his gifts. He wasted his life and his gifts. Yes, there's hope at the end. His hair begins to grow again, and we'll see what the last chapter of Samson's life brings next week. But he's a warning to us all. Set apart for God, dedicated to God, yet he wasted his life and his gifts. He had no thought for Yahweh or God's or Yahweh's agenda, Yahweh, the, the covenant name of God in the Old Testament. He had no thought for the people. All of the stories we've seen um, up to now in Samson's life have all been about Samson. Completely different to later stories where we'll see men and women active in the Bible in order for, for God's agenda for God's people, for God's church, for God's plan, concerned with what God desires, what God has revealed, what God wants. Rather, but Samson's all about, I need a wife, get me this wife, I need to do this, I need this. And even next week we'll see that in his, in his moment of pleading with God, he's not thinking of the people of Israel, he's thinking of revenge for himself. So, a warning to us, those who are called to divine service, and we're all called to divine service. Let's be clear about that as Christians. This is not like, okay, if you're going to be a, a, a minister or an evangelist or a prophet or something, then these rules apply, otherwise don't worry. All of us, because we've been united with Christ in baptism, because we've been set apart for the Lord, all of us are called to divine service, serving God. And therefore, we, we, I want us all to take away from tonight, let us be focusing on the divine agenda. And that's the question for you today or tonight, this evening. 
is 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 sorry that's the question for you and for us are we doing that and i was just i was really thinking about that question this morning as i got ready to come to church this morning because it can often be the case that in the middle of doing good things with our lives things that aren't in themselves wrong and i'm not going to say they are actually wrong no no things that are good in the midst of being in the right place god's put you here in freiburg at this time we can still be so far from actually being concerned about God's agenda, concerned about what God wants. We can be doing great things and being in the right place, and yet our minds, the way we think, are so far from God's agenda. That can often be that we're thinking more about ourselves in the sense of how great it is that God has us to do things for him here. Samson is a great example of my kingdom come, my will be done instead of, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So let's take warning from Samson. He, in, in many ways, wasted his life in the gifts that he'd, that he'd been given, on sensuality, on lust, and on his own selfishness, giving no thought to God or his agenda or his people. And so I say to you tonight, don't waste your life. Don't waste your divine calling. Don't waste the divine gifts that God has given you. Don't treat this, or don't, don't, be, don't, don't be such as Samson was, that you just don't care about the calling God's placed on your life. Don't take it for granted. Don't take it lightly. Don't take it lightly. But rather, give your everything to it. I'm not trying to... Um, pressure you here in your own strength to live a life uh, for God, uh, to merely do things by your own effort and willpower. I don't want to waste it, therefore I'm going to, oh, I'm going to really, really try hard. But I want you to be open to the working of the Holy Spirit. That's how it ultimately works. That the God has given us this text about Samson. When we hear the text, we're to be warned by it. And in the moment where this warning, where, where we see what kind of life Samson lived, how he did waste in many ways, his gifts and his life. That's the moment when the Holy Spirit takes the truth of this scripture and is going to apply it to hearts which are open and willing to hear, to give you the strength to say, I'm not going to waste my calling. I'm not going to waste the gifts God has given me. I'm going to be, take this reminder. Yes, I want to be thinking about what God's agenda is here in this church, in Freiburg, and worldwide. And this is an exciting thing. This isn't a burden. Here you go. Be here. Have God's um, calling on your life. And you're like, oh, wow, dude, it's too much for me. I don't want it to be like that either. It is like that in one aspect. God's calling on our lives calls us to a life of discipleship, of daily taking our cross upon us and following after him. If you want to know more about what that looks like, then you can join us in Holy Week at 7.30 p.m. on Monday evening. Um, we'll be getting into... Jesus' call to discipleship every evening at 7.30 during Holy Week leading up to, to Good Friday. But it's not merely that heavy calling that Jesus calls us to where he gives us the strength for it. It's also something exciting. It really is something exciting. It really is the opportunity for us to live our life to the full. Samson is a life with many, is, is a life with many interesting points and he certainly fits the bill as a, as a bona fide hero and villain. But I don't know that he lived the life that he could have had to the full, the life that God saw for him when he gave him the gifting and the calling. So be, don't, be, um, don't be beaten down 
by this example, by this warning from Samson, but rather be full of holy joy and determined with the help of the Holy Spirit to say, I want to live the calling that God has placed on my life. I'm dedicated to the Lord and I'm going to be thinking about what God's agenda is and going where and doing what he wants me to do. And we see in all of this, God is so gracious. The God who will help you live out your divine calling. The God who will help you as you're being united with Christ, will help you every day of your life. He's the same gracious God who gave Samson uh, grace upon grace, strength upon strength. And we'll see just how gracious God was to Samson next week. And even when Samson did stupid things, God was still gracious to Samson. And God didn't let him go. And it's for good reason, therefore, even though Samson's life, as I say, in many ways a failure and certainly not perfect, Samson is listed in Hebrews chapter 11 with the heroes of the faith who did many things for God. So you have one life. You have gifts from God. You have a calling from God. You've been set apart for God if you are in Christ, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you belong to him. And I'd encourage you, reach out with all joy and with holy ambition to take hold of the calling that God has for your life and to go forward in faith with him. Amen.